Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We'll be in Revelation chapter 14 on page 1320 of the Blue Bible. It's either in the, under the chair in front of you or underneath you if you're in a front row. So I'll be Revelation chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the opportunity to gather as your people. Lord, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts, or that the words now we hear wouldn't be my words, but it'd be words that you are speaking to us, speaking to our hearts. Open our eyes, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us read verses 1 to 13. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been reformed, redeemed from the earth. It is those who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, these who have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people, and he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. This is God's word. You may be seated. So I've got to be very careful. In the movie version of Return of the King uh, from the Lord of the Rings uh, series, we see Frodo and Sam on their last leg of taking the ring of power to cast it into Mount Doom. But while they're on that leg, Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas and men from Gondor and Rohan have just fought a battle at the White City, Minas Tirith. And so after they've had that victory of that battle, they realize the eye that's on that tower 
is not focused on them, but it's looking towards Mount Doom. And so Aragorn, with those who are left, says, we need to go to the Black Gate right before Mordor. We need to get that eye off of them so they can finish their journey and so we can have the attention on ourselves. And so Aragorn leads a group to the Black Gate. And as the forces of Mordor, of Sauron, come out, a battle ensues and they are surrounded. The good guys are surrounded. And it looks like this is the end. They're going to die. They're outnumbered. And the forces of darkness and Sauron will reign. That's a picture that comes to my mind when I was thinking of the last couple weeks of preaching through Revelation, especially Revelation 12 and 13, just that picture of being surrounded. And just think of what we had just read. We see a pregnant woman who's being pursued by a seven-headed red dragon with ten horns, with a tail so big it sweeps a third of the stars out of the heavens and to the earth. And this dragon is waiting for that woman to give birth so it could eat her child. A picture of Christ and the church and persecution. Now the dragon, while he could not beat the woman or eat her child, he then makes war on all of her offspring looking to devour and destroy. Again, a picture of the church and persecution. Then we see the first beast in chapter 13 coming out of the sea. Ten horns, seven heads, part leopard, part bear, part lion. And the whole earth worshipped this beast. This beast blasphemed against God. This beast made wars on the saints with a desire to conquer them. All those whose name was not in the book of life, like Christians' names are in the book of the life, all worshipped and followed the beast. That's a whole lot of people. And then if that's not enough, we see a second beast coming out of the earth, two horns speaking like a dragon. And this beast made all the people worship the first beast and perform signs, fire coming down from heaven, deceiving many into following that first beast. And those who did not worship the beast were slain. And all those who worshiped the beast were marked on their foreheads and were marked on their hands. If you didn't have a mark, don't have a mark, you can't buy or sell anything. It's a bleak picture seems like a bleak picture for God's people. And from chapter 12 and 13, we can just imagine and see how God's people are surrounded. It seems like the, the final blow is upon us where we are going to be defeated and that the beast will reign over all the earth. That's what it seems to look like as you come to those chapters. Now, that's not a picture that's hard for us to imagine as we think of our world and culture that we're living in today. It seems like we are surrounded on every side by people who worship the beast, who are serving the will and desires of Satan. People who want the church just to, to go away. We see it in those who are allowed or not allowed to read in a public school library. We see it in re certain religious groups who are not allowed to meet and gather, whether in public schools or colleges or other institutions. 
We see it in people, things that are being said against people who want to stand up for the right to life, for babies who are in the womb. We see it in coaches who are being fired because on their own, not even on a game day, they want to go out on their field and pray. Somebody finds out they're praying, and now they're fired. We see it in a world where people call the church intolerant because we don't get behind every social issue and agenda of the day. The church seems to be surrounded on every side in our culture, in our world today. And unfortunately, there's many churches who fall into the ranks and worship the beast because it's more comfortable. It's more comfortable for the leadership. It's more comfortable for the congregation not to be fired on from all sides. And so if Revelation was the end at chapter 13, it'd be a very bleak story. But John continues to share the vision that God had given him. And so we see a contrast as we come to verse four, chapter 14. We see a contrast of what we just read in chapters 12 and 13. And so let us pick up with John's vision in Revelation 14. So John, after seeing this vision of the dragon and the beast, which if you're having that kind of dream, that vision would be pretty terrifying. But now, as he comes to 14, he sees this vision of Mount Zion, a picture of the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly Jerusalem, the place in which God dwells. And who's there as he gets this picture of heaven? We see the lamb is standing there, the one who was slain, Jesus Christ. And with him, 144,000 who had the name of God the Father and God the Son written upon them. See, at the end of chapter 13, we see the number of the beast that marked those who are following the evil one. But here we see we are marked as children of the living God. And so we're all God's children as we follow Jesus, as we know Jesus, as we've confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior and believe in what he's done for us. And we can't get caught up in numbers the 144,000 represents those who know and follow Jesus Christ, a picture of God's people. And so as we see this group, what do they hear? They hear a song. They hear worship. And that song is described in such vivid language. Think of last year, last fall, our family went to Niagara Falls. And so having to go to Niagara Falls, you know, a tourist spot, we had to park pretty far away. And so as we parked in the parking lot, we're walking down the sidewalk, and man, the rush of the river going down, it, it was somewhat loud, you know, from that rushing water. But as you got closer and closer to the falls, and you saw the mist, and eventually it was getting louder and louder until there was one point when we went down to the falls and stood near it, and you couldn't even really hear each other talk because of the roar of the falls uh, there in Niagara. This is a picture of what John hears. The roar of many waters, the sound of loud thunder, voices sounding like many harps, all of this crescendoing to a song that is being sung at the great throne room in the presence of the four living creatures, the elders that we are introduced to in Revelation 4, who had been worshiping the Lord. 
If you remember, the four living creatures were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then the 24 elders were singing, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And those elders continue to sing in chapter 5, singing about the Lamb is worthy to open the scroll and its seals, worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. To him be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. It's into this presence of the beasts and the elders that God's people come singing a new song. Singing a song that only they will sing. This is God's redeemed, God's people brought from sin, brought from darkness to light. Those whom God saved in his son, Jesus Christ. It is all these people that sing this new song in that heavenly throne room. And God's people are described here as those who have not defiled themselves sexually. They are pure. They are blameless. They follow the Lamb, Jesus. They have been redeemed by God as first fruits for Him and the Son. Their speech is pure. Now, this doesn't mean only perfect people are in heaven. You could read a description like that and say, Who can sing that song? Heaven would be pretty empty but it's filled with people whom God adopted, whom God put his name upon, whom God filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's these people that God gives this song to. God places that song in our hearts, on our lips, to worship him as God's people in that great throne room. What a contrast to the people we just read about in chapters 12 and 13. The people who worship the beast, who are deceived, who are violent, who are selfish, who are blinded to the truth. And yet this is the world we live in. It's easy to get caught up in the picture that we're surrounded. The enemies number, outnumber us greatly. The people are wicked. And we are, we are surrounded every day. It's easy to get frustrated as we think of people being deceived by false teaching, deceived by lies. And again, we see that every day as we go to work, as we go to school, as we interact with neighbors, as we interact with other people in the community. We see a people who are blindly following the evil one. People who are rejecting the gospel, who are rejecting God. And in that moment of frustration, that moment when we feel like, I can do nothing, I'm surrounded, I'm outnumbered, we need to remember this second picture, that we have hope in Christ even though we are surrounded by our enemies. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope one day that we will worship together in that great throne room, a song that God will place on our hearts. And as we look at this picture of the 144,000, we're mentioned of that in Revelation 7. 
In Revelation 7, the picture is one that God is still at work in the lives of people. That God is still saving a people to himself. God is still sealing people with his Holy Spirit. So that's what keeps us going. To know as we're surrounded, some of the people surrounding us, they're going to join us. Because we're going to share the gospel with them, share the hope that's in Christ, and they're going to go from being enemies to brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we need to be picturing what is our hope? Who is our hope? And do we believe that God is still at work changing lives, bringing people into his kingdom, bringing people in his kingdom to the point where they will be part of that worship service one day? And so that is the first picture here in Revelation chapter 14 that gives us hope when we're feeling surrounded. And John gives us a second picture, a picture that should encourage us. So I want to introduce you to three angels, verses 6 to 11. And so John sees these three angels in his vision with three messages increasing in severity. First angel... He carried and proclaimed the eternal gospel to all people. When you think of all that are listed there, this is a gospel that's being proclaimed to all people of the earth, not just a certain number. Well, what is that gospel message? Real simply, first, fear God. See, in Bible times, even today, there is a lack of fear of God. We live reckless lives. We live lives as if we are in total control of everything. Proverbs 9.10 says, fear, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 1 says, The fool despises wisdom and instruction. We're surrounded by fools. We don't have to go far to find them. Some of them sitting here this morning. Now, I don't mean any disrespect to you, but God's word is clear. If you don't fear the Lord, you're a fool. You cannot be wise. Beginning of wisdom and understanding is fearing the Lord. That's the first part of his eternal gospel. The second part is give him glory. Give God the glory. We're glory hounds. We want people to know and see our accomplishments. We post, we tweet, we snap the things we do so everybody can see our accomplishments in life. And we see this in our faith, too. We're quick to take credit for our spiritual growth, for our understanding, for our maturity. We're quick to take credit for leading somebody else to Christ or helping somebody else see a sin in their lives. And we're quick to say, yeah, look what I did. We're very slow to give God the glory. Yet this is the second phrase of the eternal gospel. Give God glory. I think of Daniel 4, the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was warned, give God the glory for all that you're accomplishing. Bad things will happen. But what happens goes out on his balcony, looks at his gardens, looks at everything around, says, look at everything my hands have accomplished. He's turned into a wild animal, 
for a time, running around with the wild animals until he got to the point of saying, God, it's all by you. You get all the glory. You're all powerful. It's only you. And it's then that his sanity is restored. How are we doing in following the second part of the gospel message, the eternal gospel message, giving God the glory? So why should we fear God? Why should we give him the glory? Well, the third part of this eternal gospel is the hour of God's judgment has come. It's here. There is no second chance. Once we die, we enter into judgment. I've met too many people, young and old, who their attitude is, I have more time. I don't have to worry about these truths. I don't have to worry about God's judgment. That's for later. My question to you is, how do you know? How do you know you have tomorrow? I mean, just watch the news. Look on the internet. Talk to people. We can see how quickly life is taken. It could be a car accident, a tornado, a sudden illness. We think of violence in our world where people have died in a school, in a church, in a movie theater, at a college university, in a grocery store. How do you know you have later? 1 Thessalonians 5 says the second coming of Christ, is the, day, the day of the Lord, will be like a thief in the night. A thief doesn't call you up and say, I'm coming to steal from you. Be ready. Come suddenly without us being aware. It's a surprise. And so we need to be equipped and ready for the second coming of Christ. But I also say you don't know the day of your death. And so we need to prepare it as if today is the last day. And so, are we fearing the Lord? Are we giving him glory? Part, important, an important part of the eternal gospel here is Jesus is coming. His judgment has come. And we need to proclaim that from the pulpit. If you enter eternity not believing in Jesus, not believing in what he has done, if you are rejecting the gospel, rejecting the truth that Jesus is, the way, the truth, and the life, then one day you will stand before God alone, clothed with your own works. But as we come to that point of believing in Jesus Christ, submitting our lives to him, his righteousness is given to us. And so when we stand before God one day, God doesn't see us in our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we get to participate in that worship in that heavenly throne room. The last part of the eternal gospel. It's a call to worship God the creator, the one who made all things. Genesis 1 and 2 says, God made all things out of nothing by the power of his word. The problem is, in Romans 1, we see people that trade the truth of God for lies. They worship the creation rather than the creator. Why? It is easier to worship what you can see. It is easier to worship what you can touch. 
That's why it's so easy for us to have idols of money, idols of relationships, idols of our technology. We can touch it. We can hold it. We can interact with it from our human perspective. And so we see in Romans 1, people trading the truth of God, worshiping of God, worshiping creation rather than the creator. And so the call of the eternal gospel, worship the one who made all things, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one in whose image we are made. A reminder that we need to hear, a reminder that this first angel proclaims, which leads to the second angel. His message is shorter. Babylon, the great nation, is fallen to never get up again. Yes, that nation that led other nations a drink of the wine of her sexual immorality. This angel wants to see that the lifestyle of Babylon, if it's modeled, it will lead to destruction. I mentioned Romans 1. Well, when you read further on in Romans 1 about the unrighteous, Babylon, it's described in more detail. They do not acknowledge God. They have a debased mind. They're evil, covetous, full of malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossipers. They're slanderers. They're boastful. They're disobedient to their parents. They're foolish. They're faithless says, even though they know, because they've heard God's truth, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That's Babylon. That's how Babylon lives. And the angel says, she will fall. And that's the people, when you look at Revelation 12 and 13, all those who are worshiping the dragon... And the beasts, that's a picture of Babylon. Those who have the mark of the beast, who will fall and be judged. And so as we look at that list, it's a picture of all of us. A picture of who we were before we knew Jesus Christ. Now I know as I look at that list, and I know some of you as you look at that list, We continue to struggle with things that are on that list. But we can struggle with hope. The hope to know Christ took my sin upon the cross. My past, my present, my future sin was nailed to Christ on the cross. He took it. Now I still have a responsibility when faced with that sin to repent and to make it right before the Lord. But his promise is, I've forgiven you in Christ. Now there's some of us sitting here this morning, many in our world who ignore this message of repent, who continue to sin and approve of others who are living in sin. And so this morning, you have been told the truth. You've been told the truth that these sins lead to death and that you need to confess your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to accomplish salvation for us, that through faith in him and him alone can we have eternal life. We're accountable for that truth as we sit here and hear it this morning. Leads to angel three. 
This angel, a more severe message, brings a message of destruction for those who worship the beast. Foreheads and hands. I think my battery just went. Uh, it's a picture of scripture we continually to see throughout the Old and New Testament that those who worship idols, those who are not living for God, that destruction comes. Cain was marked and suffered and experienced God's wrath. Noah and his family were spared from a flood that wiped out the rest of people on the earth. The firstborn of Egypt on the 10th plague, adults and children were all killed from the Egyptians. Achan and his family were stoned when Achan decided to take something from Jericho and his whole family was stoned and then burned. Many, many Philistines died in a temple when Samson in his last act pushed those pillars apart and many were killed that day in the temple. Ananias and Sapphira decided they were going to hold back some money that they promised to God and they died on the spot. Herod the Great People were building him up as being a god, and he bought into it and said, yeah, look at everything I did. He falls down dead and is eaten by worms. And there's many other stories throughout Scripture as we fail to worship God, as we worship our idols of the destruction that can come to individuals, to families, and to nations. This is the end for those who worship the dragon, who worship the beast, and don't worship the lamb will be judged and destroyed. And so the third angel gives us a vivid picture of those who die not following Jesus. It's a picture we can't gloss over because many times it's easy to get caught up in these fantastic pictures of dragons and beasts and women who are flying and we miss the message sometimes. And it's a message we can't escape. What does it say? You will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Last week, Pastor Hayward shared that Satan is not going to hold back in pursuing us. He is going to kill us without mercy, without giving any quarter. Well, as we think about God, God is not going to hold back on his wrath that will be poured out on those who die rejecting him and refusing to worship him, our creator. In chapter 14, we see that that person who worships the beast, that person who doesn't know Jesus, says they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. Who are those who will feel this torment? Satan, demons, and all those who follow and worship him. I've known people who reject Jesus. People who say, people whose attitude is, you know what? Most of my friends are in hell. And you know what? I'm looking forward one day to being there, cracking open a beer and partying with them for all of eternity. To think of the deception that people have bought into of what hell is like. And in just these few verses, we're given a little picture this is not a pleasant place. We think of the suffering will happen for those who die rejecting Christ. 
And what else does it say about that torment? It says the torment goes on forever and ever. No rest. Day and night. There's some who believe in annihilationism. For that person who doesn't know Jesus, when they die, poof. They just cease to exist. That's not the picture here. The picture is an eternal torment for those who are worshiping the beast. God, we all feel good. We're given a contrast. I mean, we look at that and we think of our loved ones who don't know Jesus and think of all the people around us and there's a sense of urgency. But we're given a contrast to show the hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ in verses 12 and 13, a hope for the redeemed. The redeemed, those who are true worshipers of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, that's not our end. We will worship the King forever and ever in a place of no pain, in a place of no suffering. And so in these verses, God, call, through John, calls for our endurance. As we look at verse 12, why? We are going to have a lot to endure. I mean, just, again, go back to chapters 12 and 13 and see all that the dragon and the beasts are going to do to the people who do not worship the dragon or the beast. We'll be hunted down. We'll be persecuted. We'll be killed. That's the penalty of worshiping the true king, of worshiping Jesus Christ. Satan is not going to relent. Why? He's defeated. And he knows he's defeated. And he knows he's got nothing to lose because he knows his defeat is imminent. And so after hearing the message of the three angels, we should be motivated to endure. Because as we think about the end of the enemies of Christ, and if we want to live like the world, we're basically saying, yeah, I want their end. But we don't want that end. And so we should be motivated to endure, to stand firm on the truths that God has given us. And the final encouragement here for those who stand firm, even to the point of death, is they are blessed if they die in the Lord. There is a rest from their labors, an eternal rest unlike those worship the beast. Back to my opening illustration. I know some of you haven't read Lord of the Rings. You're like, well, that sounds horrible. But as Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, all the other men are surrounded and the eye is in them, what they did not see, because they weren't at Mount Doom, was Frodo and the ring being thrown into Mount Doom. Sorry, parents, if I just spoiled the story for anybody. <laughs> but as we see the, the tower crumble and the eye crumble, and then we see the panic of all of Sauron's forces as now they are annihilated. We see the victory of Aragorn, Frodo, Sam, and their company. It seems hopeless. We feel surrounded. The enemy is on every side. The enemy is relentless in his attacks. We feel it in our relationships. We feel it at work. We feel it at school. Sometimes we even feel it within the church. And we need to remember our enemy is going to fight hard, the dragon and the beast, because they know they're defeated. 
I don't have anything to lose. And the question for us, who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping the dragon? Or are you worshiping the lamb? One leads to hope, to eternal life. The other leads to death, destruction, eternal torment and suffering. I want to encourage you, talk to somebody before you leave this morning, somebody you got to meet maybe a little bit earlier in the service, one of us pastors or elder. We want to share with you the hope that you can have in Jesus Christ. We want to help you to understand what it means to follow the Lamb, what it means to worship the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your life, what it means to have and know a peace and a hope that passes all understanding. We want to be able to share that with you. Because that's found only in Jesus Christ. Not yourself, not another religion, not another person, not anything you accomplish. Only in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Your love, your care for us, your people. Lord, we praise you for your word. Lord, it shows us our sin. But it doesn't leave us there shows us the hope that we can have in Christ because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Our sin put upon him, and through faith in him, we have eternal life. And I pray for that person who's sitting here this morning who is still part of the ranks that's worshiping the dragon, the beast, ultimately Satan. There's no hope for that person. And I pray that you would soften their hearts, open their eyes to the truth, so they can join us in singing a song in that heavenly throne room. Lord, we praise you for that hope we have in Christ, knowing we did not accomplish salvation for ourselves, but Christ did it for us on the cross. That's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.